Hey everybody, welcome to Reuse First Podcast episode. My name is Bean. And I'm Nancy. And we are the co-founders and creators of Reuse Paralysis Recovery Center. We Reuse been around for about three years and we've got a lot of feedback from people that they wanted to know more, our story more in depth and uh, more educational stuff about how their body works and neural recovery. So we decided that a podcast would be the best way for us to share. Yeah, we figured why not? Now's the time to do something new and step out of our comfort zone and uh, challenge ourselves a little bit more. Yep, and it only took us two days to figure out the technology and we're still figuring it out. <laughs> First steps forward in success. That's right. All right, so today we're going to talk a little bit about us. Yeah, so I guess I'll talk about how Ryu began. Uh, I've told this story over a million times. Nancy's heard it a million times. <laughs> But what's one more time? Yeah, and we just figured it's time for everybody else to hear the full story. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I guess it really started like when I was paralyzed. It was um, July 13th, 2012. I was in Vegas when it happened. And uh, it was Friday the 13th, and a virus had attacked my spinal cord. I didn't know that at the time, but it was, you know obviously life-changing, right? I didn't expect that to happen and uh, literally flipped my life upside down. So I guess like what actually happened that day was it was Friday and we were gonna go to the pool that day, but um, it was raining. So I got up, I went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth, washed my face and stuff, walked over to the windows, opened up the curtains and saw that it was raining outside. And I remember thinking like, that's really weird. When does it rain in Vegas in July? And so I walked back to the bed where my friend was and like I remember taking those steps. I remember what the carpet felt like under my feet. I remember crawling into the bed and then as we lay there talking, I just had the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my low back. And the pain lasted a few minutes um, and then I wasn't able to move my right leg. So I was trying to bend both my legs, but only my left one was bending. I was wiggling my toes, flexing my ankle, and um, a couple of minutes later, it went prickly from my hip to my toes, and I was left paralyzed from the waist down. So what were you thinking at the time? Being an x-ray tech, I was logically thinking about what happens in your spinal cord and like where my pain was. It was so far down, like below my SI joints is where my pain was and your spinal cord splits before it gets there. So I was just trying to think like what could have been happening. Uh, I was really calm throughout the whole thing. My friends were kind of very panicked. <laughs> uh, I could feel everything, I just couldn't move anything. And so I didn't really know what was happening, but I called my insurance company and they told me to call 911. <laughs> then I called 911 and they took me to the same hospital that I was at the last time I went to Vegas <laughs> for an anaphylactic reaction. And, you know, there they did a full spine MRI right off the bat. That came back clear. Um, and then it was just a battery of tests, right? Blood tests, everything, poking me, needles and pens and stuff like that. And, and for the, just to clarify, for everyone who doesn't know, Reuse located in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So that's why we keep talking about insurance and different things. Because yeah. when you're in a foreign country, those things do play a factor. Definitely. And I highly recommend everybody get travel insurance. Uh, I luckily did have insurance, but there came a day on like day five or day six that where the insurance company said, we can't find you in our system. And at that point, it's already like at least $80,000 in, right? And 
Uh, I was also supposed to have like low stress because this is a very stressful time. And uh, obviously that's a very stressful thing to say to somebody, but my mom was just like, you know, if we have to sell the house, we sell the house, like we don't worry about it. Luckily, it was just a glitch in their system, and I did show up, thankfully, and so I did get coverage. Um, but yeah, it's very different experiencing healthcare in a different country, for sure. At least it was the States, and at least it was like a very metropolis like city that had happened. Oh yeah, so I had you know almost every single test you could think of, multiple MRIs, CT scans, lumbar puncture, um, everything. And every test kept on coming back normal. Like, there was nothing wrong with me. And so they basically told me that I had something called conversion disorder, which is where you're so stressed out that your brain tells your body to shut down. Paralysis is a really extreme version of that, but it is a real thing. And so I believed it because that year, 2012, was, and I hope remains, the worst year of my life. Um, in that year, like, I turned 30 that January, which was fine. And then April, I left my ex-husband after he beat me up for the first and last time. And then I never used to talk about my feelings or emotions or anything, and everyone was urging me to go talk to somebody, talk to a professional, but I just kept numbing myself and sweeping everything under the rug because that's the only coping mechanism I had. In June of 2012, my dad left our family and that was a long time coming, but still it's hard <laughs> when you're going through it. And then two weeks later, I was paralyzed. That's a rough year. Very, very. And so, you know, it made sense. It made sense that I was so stressed out that my body, my brain told my body to shut down. And so the treatment protocol is you got to go see like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You have to work with them to find whatever mental block you have. And the neurologist down there said that most people will get full mobility back within two weeks after unlocking that mental block. So I was like, okay, cool. I can do this for like two weeks, right? No, it didn't. We're uh, eight years later and I'm still paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to the hospital in Las Vegas and what's your experience there? Overall, it was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> my nurse actually in Emerge was from Sherwood Park. And she, so she told us about, you know, because they pay a lot more down there. Yeah. Um, so she gave us a little bit of background about the history and, like, backside of healthcare. Um, but, you know, I was not, by day 10, I was, I was there for 12 days. By day 10, I was not a happy camper. I was very angry and irritable, and I yelled at a lot of people. <laughs> But that's just because of the whole situation, and it was, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, so when I was in the merge, I really didn't think anything was wrong with me. I thought, okay, they're just going to give me something. I'm going to walk out of here. Ain't no thing, right? And it didn't really hit me until it was uh, overnight, the first night, and I overheard the nurses talking, and they were saying that they're waiting for a bed in ICU for me. And then that's when, like, reality kicks in, right? Because you don't go to ICU if everything's okay. And uh, that was, like, I remember that moment feeling like, oh, my God, like, there's actually something wrong here, right? Like, it's, I'm not just going to walk out of here. And then, so the next morning, I called home. I called, and my sister answered, Tin, and I was like, hey, man, like, I can't move my legs. And she's like, what? Shut up. Ha, ha, ha. Like, thought I was joking, right? 
I was like, no, dude, like for real, I can't move my legs. And obviously she was confused, concerned, um, worried. And my mom was still sleeping. So I was like, okay, well, when she wakes up, tell her to call me. So when she did, I was just like, okay, are you sitting down? (laughs) She's like, oh God, what now? And I just said, I'm like, I can't move my legs. And she's like, well, try. I was like, okay, well, I have been trying. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I just can't. I'm like, I can feel everything. I can't move anything. And then she was like, do you want us to come down there? And I said, yes. So my sister and my mom came down the next day. So yeah, my sister stayed down there for a week with us. And then she had to go back because she had to work. And my mom stayed for the full 12 days. And then... You know, by, by day 11, I didn't have any IVs or anything in me, and I just wanted to get out of there. And I reached out to all of the doctors that I worked with here, and nobody would help me. And so it was my family doctor from here, actually, that called the doctor in Vegas and was like, paraplegic people fly all the time, so why can't you just discharge her and let her fly home? My insurance company had a little issue with that because they're <laughs> just worried about liabilities, right? Um, it ended up being fine. And so I ended up getting discharged from the Vegas hospital. And uh, we just wanted to get out of there so bad. Um, and so my mom found me a wheelchair and we just booked a cab and went to the hospital. I mean, went to the airport, sorry. And um, finally made it back home. And so traveling was... Uh, an experience. It really wasn't that bad because my mom was able to transfer me and they got me to the front of the plane so there's lots more room there. Uh, So it wasn't that bad but and it was only a two or three hour flight so it was okay. Um, But once we got home, we got home about 1 a.m. and it felt so good to be inside of my house. My brother had to carry me up the first front steps and I had to sleep on the sofa because I couldn't make it upstairs to my bed. And then the next day we went to the hospital um, and I went to the eMERGE and told them that I needed to see psychiatry or psychologist because I have conversion disorder. So then they put you in like the psych room in eMERGE, which does not make you feel sane. Yeah, so for those who don't know, what's that experience like for you? It's really scary kind of, right? Like it's... uh, it's a room that has plastic walls. There's cameras in every corner. It has a big, huge, heavy metal door with a ginormous electric lock on it. Bars in all the windows. Um, just a bed in the middle of the room. Like a sink a, a, and a toilet. It just doesn't make you feel normal, quote unquote, right? And they did leave the door open for me because they knew I wasn't a risk to myself or to anybody else. And my family was able to come visit me, which was nice. Um, but when I was in that headspace, it didn't feel good to be in that room for like 10 hours. Oh, it's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time I was there. And so, um, when the psychiatrist did finally come talk to me, he, uh, so at that time I had blonde hair and I'm of East Indian descent, so I have brown skin. And he was also East Indian. And when he came in, the first thing he said to me was, what's wrong with your hair? Oh, it starts it off right. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, well, he's not going to judge me at all. <laughs> but I was like, whatever, this is not the time, right? I, I don't care. This, I just told him everything that had happened. I didn't hold anything back because I knew this was something serious. And he basically said to me that there's nothing wrong with you. I'm not going to admit you. Um, and most people who have this have a large monetary gain coming towards them. So do you. Oh, the judging continues. <laughs> well, and it's just like, 
no, I'm actually losing money because I can't work right now. And I'm not faking this. And something is clearly wrong because I cannot move anything from my waist down. Like I lost bowel control, bladder control, everything. And uh, so anyways, that's all he said. And I refused to stay the ni a, a night in the hospital. And so I left. What I didn't know is that neurology was supposed to come see me and somebody had a stroke, so they ended up going to that person. Um, but they had written in the chart for the nurse to tell me to come back in the morning and they would see me. But I didn't get that message, so I never came back. And so this is how I felt through the cracks of the medical system here. So I was just like, okay, hey, if I'm gonna have to find psychology, I'm gonna do it. And so I went through, obviously, the Alberta Health route, right? The free stuff. Um, I tried for that for physio as well as psychology, and you really get what you pay for, right? Which is not much. For physio, you get one session a month that's covered, and I mean, you want to train your nervous system, you need physio multiple times a day, <laughs> not once a month. And for the psychology, I mean, their offices, first of all, were not wheelchair accessible, they were downtown, uh, no parking either. And when I went into their off her office, it was just like, piled high with files. She looked very overwhelmed, overworked. And I think she had like three or 400 case files of her own. And so you see that psychologist once every three months. And I knew that I needed to see somebody more frequently and urgently. And so luckily I was in the financial position to like be able to pay for a lot of the stuff on my own. And so I went through the community and I found um, Sharon Smith at Creating Solutions who helped me through so much stuff. Um, I saw her seeing her twice a week, and honestly, that's the biggest, um, like, blessing, I guess, out of this whole thing, is that I was able to work through all of my trauma and everything that had happened to me prior to being paralyzed, as well as my paralysis, and a lot of stuff that happened after the paralysis, right? And so that's something that I've real, I'm really grateful for, and I try to tell everybody that whether you have a disability or not, you should find somebody that you can talk to who can give you the tools to move through what you're going through. Good advice. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I should have taken my own advice, but we all learn at our own times. <laughs> so when I was looking for physiotherapists, um, I went through my family doctor. They referred me to one. Um, and when I phoned them, well, we showed up there first, made an appointment, when I went there, and they didn't have any parallel bars. And so she said that she's not equipped to deal with somebody with paralysis. So I ended up calling a bunch of different physio places, and a, a number of them said that they don't have parallel bars, and so they couldn't help me. And so back then, I was like, oh, okay, like, you definitely need to have parallel bars. <sighs> now, hindsight, you don't need parallel bars at all. <laughs> But whatever, I didn't know that then. So anyways, I did end up finding, uh, I got into the CRIS program, which is at the Ms. Accordia Hospital. Um, so that was twice a week. And I did find the only neurophysio uh, clinic in Edmonton. Uh, so I was going there also tw twice a week, um, paying for that out of my pocket. And mainly we worked on, you know, core balance, stability, and stuff like that. Nothing too strenuous. We did a lot of, like, stretching and stuff like that. Um, but... Yeah, when I was paralyzed, like, I feel like I lost all of my fitness knowledge. And I used to be very, like, active before then. I was doing kickboxing, yoga. I've been working out since I was 12. But, like, 
I completely forgot everything and just put all my trust in the physio. And I was like, okay, well, this person knows what they're doing, so I'm going to listen, right? Anyway, so it was about August when I, my legs started really spasming a lot. And uh, it was getting to the point where, like, I would go over the crack in the sidewalk and everything would spasm straight into extensor tone and go all the way up my back and either tip me backwards or I would slide forward like, out of my chair. And uh, when I say extensor tone, it just means your legs kick out straight and it goes like right up your back muscles and pushes you backwards. Yeah, so let's back up a little bit. So in the beginning, did you have any core control? Did you have any spasms? Did you have any movement? No, I had absolutely nothing. I would just flop over. I couldn't sit up unsupported. I would just flop over to, to a side or forward or backwards. Um, I couldn't roll over. I couldn't sit up on my own. Absolutely nothing I had. So when my legs started spasming, I was kind of like, okay, sweet, right? Because to me, any movement is better than no movement. Um, but I didn't know what that meant. Uh, so at this time, what kind of wheelchair were you in? I was still in the wheelchair from the hospital, which was a bariatric wheelchair, which means extra wide. Uh, and so it was not fit for me, obviously. Uh, I actually ended up impinging my shoulders uh, from wheeling incorrectly because it was so ill-fitting. Um, and I didn't even have a cushion to begin with. Um, I would just sit right on the leather part of the seat. So yeah, I didn't have a cushion. Um, and so then I had to go through home care OT and they gave me a uh, small like Rojo cushion which I just used a pillowcase over top of. <laughs> I mean, whatever you gotta do, right? Because yeah. I didn't have a cover on it. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up with um, some shearing under my butt from the transfers. Like I said, I couldn't transfer myself, so either my mom or my brother would transfer me from my chair to the bed. Um, but with that, I got some shearing under my butt. Yeah, so for those who don't know, shearing is basically the breakdown of skin due to the friction sliding. Yeah. And which can go, and if it left untreated, it can turn into a pressure sore. And that can be debilitating for somebody. So luckily, me and my mom are both healthcare aides, which helped a lot with transferring, changing catheters, doing all the, you know, medical stuff, um, which was very handy to have. Uh, but I was also in a state of, like desperation, where I was willing to try anything to become unparalyzed. And remember at this time, I had thought that it was a mental block. And so I had heard of this lady who was a natural, or who was a hypnotherapist. And so we went to go see her. She hypnotized me. I was still awake and just in a very relaxed state. And she said to, for me to call upon somebody who I've lost and for us to ask them to help me. So my grandpa had passed a couple years before, so I called on him, and um, like when I first saw him, that's when I was able to um, contract my left obliques. And it was almost instantaneously, so I like to think that my grandpa helped me out with that. Um, I was super excited that I was finally able to feel some of my abs, because I was like desperate to do a sit-up. And I, so I would be contracting that muscle all day, all night, and just so excited. <laughs> but it really has backfired because now my left side is way stronger than my right side, pulling my pelvis out of alignment and a whole bunch of other things. But I was really excited at the time to have any kind of movement. 
Yeah, so when my spasms started, I went back to my family doctor, and he was like, this is not conversion disorder. I'm sending you for another MRI. He's like, conversion disorder does not present like this. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not expecting to see anything on this one either, right? And by this time, I've had like 30 MRIs, and I know it's weird, but at that point, I started liking them. Like, I actually enjoyed being inside that donut. <laughs> the sounds and stuff, which was, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, that was booked for October. There was also another lady that I went to go see who was a natural healer, and I write, say that in quotation marks. Um, she was from Thailand, and she was working out of this lady's garage, and she had said that she helped a lady who was in a wheelchair walk again, and she's helped so many people who are sick like heal themselves and get better. And like I said, I was in a very desperate state of mind, so I was like, whatever, dude, I'll try anything. So... We go there and we told her, you know, so I don't feel hot, cold, or pain from my waist down. And I told her that, and she was like, okay, yep, no problem. And so she, she's like, okay, hey, lay down uh, on your stomach. And so then I did, and, or no, on my back first. And so she pulls out her tools, and she pulls out a stick. She wraps cotton around the end of it, dips it in rubbing alcohol. And I was like, okay, like, what's she going to do? And then she lights it on fire. And I was like, what's she going to do with fire? Maybe she's going to clean some instruments. I don't know what she's going to do. I told her again, like, I don't feel hot and cold, right? She's like, yeah, no worries. She's like, just tell me if he feels warm a little bit. I was like, I can't feel hot or cold. And at this time, I, my spidey senses and my instinct was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But I was like, I need to be healed. And so we did it. <laughs> okay, yeah, so she's doing this treatment on me. And so she's taking the hot fire on a stick and like going over my skin and then immediately going over it with her hand, right? So like heating it up and taking it off kind of thing. Anyway, she does the whole backside of my body and then I flip over, she does the whole front side of my body and then they get me back into the wheelchair and she wraps me up in blankets to stay warm to keep the heat inside. And she said, oh, her skin peeled a little bit on her knee, so just put some like... Vaseline on it, okay? And we're like, okay, and I'm wrapped up in blankets, so I didn't see it. <clears throat> so to those wondering, why would you try this fire therapy? What was it supposed to do for you? So I had heard that she helped a lady who was in a wheelchair get walking again. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that she has helped many people with many different ailments and stuff, and in a natural way, really recover themselves. And at this point, honestly, I was in a very desperate state of mind right like I need to get better I do not want to be in a wheelchair forever and like I need and if this is in my head I need whatever I can to like unlock it right <clears throat> so then I I'm in my chair and she gives us this big bag of ginseng and this oil that she mixed and it was all of it ended up being like $300 I think 250 or something like that anyways and then we head off to my appointment with my psychologist and um, I had found a psychologist privately because, again, going back to our healthcare system, the psychologist that I went to go see provided by our healthcare system, first of all, their office was not wheelchair accessible, it was downtown. And um, her office was full of case files, and she looked very overwhelmed and very stressed out. And I would only have been able to see her once every three months. So that's the free healthcare that we get, right? Obviously, once every three months was not sufficient because I knew I needed to somebody, 
to help me right away. So I found a private psychologist. I was seeing her twice a week. So immediately when I left from the natural healer, I went to my therapist. <clears throat> and when I went to her, I was wearing a dress, so I took the blankets off, and this little bit of skin that she said had lifted was actually a six-inch first-degree burn on my left knee. And it was about, the blister was about an inch high, and like I said, six inches long on my knee. When my psychologist saw it, she said, why are you trusting other people to heal you? She's like, your recovery is in you. She's like, you got to stop expecting other people to help you, right? And even now, hearing those words, like, they resonate very well. Well, I mean, how many people like to hear that, right? right? They have yeah. to take, take charge of their own journey, yeah. right? And so that was a big eye-opener for me. And um, she also, I got first-degree burns on the bottom of my feet, as well. Uh, the ball of my foot had a first degree burn and all of the toes on my right foot had uh, blisters and first degree burns. And, um, <clears throat> you know, my mom was really upset after we saw these burns. And uh, she went and she threatened the lady to report her and stuff. And so she ended up giving my mom her money back. But, you know, be weary of people working out of people's garages. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that just shows you like you were you were desperate you I were desperate, desperate for you know yeah. that you know cure yeah right? I would have tried anything yeah and uh I mean to some point you did I mean yes <laughs> I really did try everything actually yeah <clears throat> anyways I ended up having that next MRI and um being an x-ray tech one of the perks of that is I know the MRI techs and they sent me my report right away and I kind of wish they hadn't, right? But whatever, it is what it is. And it was Thanksgiving weekend, and I got the report, and it said on there, um, there is a lesion in the spinal cord at T10, T11, looks like transverse myelitis. And so, you know, just trans medically translated, transverse myelitis means inflammation of the spinal cord, and mine's obviously at T10, T11. And <clears throat> reading that was like a turning point. Um, I immediately Googled transverse myelitis, right, mm -hmm. which I shouldn't have done, but did. The famous Dr. Google. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and basically it said uh, it happens at random, it's idiopathic, nobody knows why it happens. Um, and if you have one lesion, you have TM, transverse myelitis. As soon as you have two lesions, you're diagnosed with MS. And that really scared me because Alberta has the highest rate of MS in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, MS hits young 30-year-old healthy women. Mm -hmm. That was me at the time. And that really devastated me. And like that, reading that is actually what tipped me over the edge into a depression. Mm -hmm. Up until then, I had been teetering on that edge for a long time, but really stayed positive because I'm like, nope, this is up to me. It's a mental block. I can get through this. I can fix it. Mm -hmm. Now it's like there's an actual physical damage. There's actually physically something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And again, that was a hard pill to swallow too, right? It's a hard uh, reality to acknowledge. And um, that also kicked off a whole bunch of appointments, right? New neurologists, new everything. And so when I, the one neurologist I went to go see, he was actually supposed to see me the day I, in the hospital when I flew back from Vegas. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he's like, I remember because mm -hmm. he, he wrote everything down, right? And mm -hmm. he's like, you were, I was, you were supposed to come see me the next day, and I didn't know, and that's when I found out about that. Yeah. 
And it's just like, man, like you just get, keep getting let down over and over and over again by the medical system. But this guy, so he says to me, he's like, okay, he's like, well, I'm like, does mine look like it's going to become MS? I'm really, really afraid of this. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, it doesn't look like it for eight years. It looks like to be a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like it better be, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It better be. Um, and then he says to me, he's like, you know what? You don't have anything to worry about. You're going to walk into my office in January. And this was October. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was like, oh my goodness. Thank God. Okay. Yes. I can do this for a few more months. No problem. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like, my self-esteem is drastically lowering. Um, Having an indwelling Foley catheter does not make you feel attractive at all. Mm -hmm. And one of my first thoughts after being paralyzed was, like, who's going to date the girl in a wheelchair? Mm -hmm. Right? First of all, I don't want to be the girl in the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And then who's going to date me? And it was a real worry for me. Um, And it was for a few years. And now I can tell you that there are lots of people who will date girls and guys in wheelchairs. Um, they're just harder to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the genuine ones. The genuine ones, yes. There's a lot of creepers out there. <laughs> we'll go into that in a later episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's a whole episode in itself for sure. Um, anyway, so like I said, that kind of spiraled me into a depression. And I wasn't drinking anymore. I had no more vices other than food. Mm-hmm. And so... I was still saying going to therapy and I was working through all these emotions and stuff, but this was a lot to take on in like 10 months. Mm -hmm. And so I was eating everything in sight. And when you eat a lot and you're not burning those calories and you're sitting in a bariatric wheelchair, it's really hard to notice those pounds coming on, right? Mm -hmm. But they come on real fast. And I just remember that Christmas, like I remember turning my Facebook off because I just could not stand people posting happy family Christmas pictures and stuff. I just, it irritated me so much. So I just deactivated everything. And um, I tried to getting rid of my catheter Mm -hmm. in December because they're like, you have to take it out. You need to either do intermittent cathing or like you can't have a Foley catheter in you forever. Mm -hmm. And so I tried taking it out, but my bladder was just so spastic I just peed all everywhere all the time Mm -hmm. and that does not help with your self-confidence no definitely not at all and so then I was like nope put the foley back in so I put the foley back in and I actually found comfort in it right because I'm like well I can drink as much as I want I can see my pee Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my bowel my actually I had gained regained control of my bowels um, a couple of months after being paralyzed which I'm super super grateful for Mm -hmm. um Still have some accidents here and there, but whatever. That's life with a mm-hmm. spinal cord injury. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, and so then in January, I had an appointment at the Glen Rose, which is our rehab hospital here in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to go see the physiatrist there, um, you know, I, ha- I was sta- by that time I was standing with a two-wheeled walker. I had AFOs, which helped me to stand. AFOs are ankle foot orthoses, so like braces for your ankles. I give you a lot of support. Mm-hmm. So I was standing at least mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he's, he wanted to admit me to the hospital because of my catheter. He's like, we need to get this out. You need to train your bladder. Mm-hmm. And I fought it like <laughs> <laughs> till the bitter end. I did not want to live in a hospital again. I did not want to be there, <clears throat> but again, I had no choice. Right? <laughs> yep. So anyways, I ended up going to the hospital in February and, uh, that's where they weighed me. And when they told me the number, I was like, no, you are absolutely wrong. Do it again. (laughs) 
And they weighed me again and they told me, I was like, oh my goodness. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm actually this fat. Yep. And she was like, she didn't know what to say, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay. I'm like, well, you guys are in control of my food. Mm -hmm. Let's stop this. Mm -hmm. right? I'm, I can be disciplined when I need to be. <laughs> and, you know, at that point, my physio had said to me a few weeks earlier, but then before that, he said to me, he's like, if you, he's like, you're paralyzed now. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if you need to use your arms for everything, you need to have a strong upper body and a light limber lower body. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to help you the most. And, um, I didn't really pay much attention to that because I had no concept of self. Mm -hmm. I didn't go sit in front of a full-length mirror naked and look at myself, mm -hmm. right? I had no idea what I actually looked like. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so in the Glenrose, they restricted my food. I basically ate cardboard with hot sauce. <laughs> so the Glenrose is our rehab hospital. Yeah. So at what point were you finally admitted into the rehab hospital then? Uh, it was February 13th, 2012. Mm -hmm. So it was seven months post-injury. And most people who get paralyzed are within in the rehab hospital at least a month, two months after being injured. Um, but again, I fell through the cracks mm -hmm. of the medical system, and I ended up there seven months later. So now you're an inpatient. Yeah. I'm an inpatient, and uh, to be honest, I'm not a very happy inpatient. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk us through it. Right? Talk us through so it. So they put me through, they put me in an independent room first, and I was happy. But, so that night, I was on an air mattress in, on like a hospital bed. It's a mm -hmm. fancy one. But it wasn't inflated properly. And the pump for the mattress was lay, located basically under my head. And it went off every minute it pumped air. And I stayed awake that whole night. I tweeted all night because I was so upset and cranky. And because the mattress wasn't blown up properly, my butt was actually touching the metal frame through the mattress. So, and I can't feel pain, but I can, it's de not, definitely not comfortable, yeah. right? And so anyways, the next day is when they, I had like assessments and stuff like that mm. by physio and OT and whatever. And by that point, I was transferring on my own mm -hmm. um, as long as I had my AFOs and stuff on. <clears throat> anyways, uh, I went home for the weekend. That was a Friday, I believe. Mm. And so then I went home for the weekend. When I came back on Monday, they told me that I had to be moved into a shared room. Mm -hmm. And I said, nope, I do not. And again, I fought that till the bitter end. I went all the way up the chain. And basically, they just told me I have no choice, right? And so they put me in the, my shared room. And uh, so I wheeled in there, and I could hear a young girl's voice on the other side of the curtain. I saw a little toddler running around. And so when I went to go introduce myself, the girl who was in there, uh, her name's Erica, and she was the same age as me. I think she's like a year younger than me, and the same kind of thing happened to her. Um, she ended up being diagnosed with neuromyelitis optica. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually, you know, a good thing that we were put in the same room, and as much as I tried to fight it, like there's always a reason why things happen, right? And so her and I really helped support each other through our, both of our stays there, and it was like talking to a mirror, and we just understood each other, and to this day we're really good friends. She lives up in Fort McMurray. And that really helped me through my stay there. Mm -hmm. It was also there that my perspective shifted on life. You know, I, up until then, I was always like, why does this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? I'm not a bad person. Why am I in a wheelchair? And my idiot ex-husband is walking around without a care in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Why me? 
And so one day, Eric and I and I are having lunch with another girl. And so this other girl, she's a high-level quadriplegic. She was in a car accident with a moose, and moose always wins, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's sitting there. She's unable to move her hands, and her mom is feeding her. And she's unable to move anything, actually, from her head down. Mm-hmm. And she says, will either of you guys walk again? And Erica is like, well, this bitch will. <laughs> and we laughed, right? And, like, I was overcome with guilt. And... The words this girl said next changed my life. She said, I'd be happy if I could move an effing finger. Yep. That second, I was like, okay, Bean, you are not allowed to feel sorry for yourself anymore. Yep. Right? Because perspective. Mm-hmm. Here, I have my fully functioning arms, my fully functioning lungs, my digestive system that's not mm-hmm. fully functioning, but there. Mm-hmm. I'm able to stand. Yep. Not walking yet, but I know I will be. Mm-hmm. I wasn't independent, but I knew I would be. <clears throat> and all of these things just started coming to my mind, right? Yep. And literally that instant, I was like, huh, okay. Then I just, you know, I stopped being sad about what I lost, and I mm-hmm. started being grateful for what I had. Mm-hmm. And that shift in my thought literally changed my life. Mm-hmm. Everything changes. Yep. And... Um, you know, I didn't really talk to the other girl after that. She was in isolation, and the Glenrose is a weird kind of place because <laughs> you want to talk to people, but at the same time, everybody's super insecure. Mm-hmm. They kind of want to talk to you, but most of the they don't. Everybody kind of wants to keep to themselves. No one's really sure what life is going to be like, right? Suicide's running through almost everyone's mind. And just like I said, it's just a weird kind of vibe, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't end up talking to that girl. I saw her here and there, but I didn't really end up talking to her much. And so I get discharged from the Glenrose. I found out about a place in California called Project Walk, which is a spinal cord injury recovery center. Um, My mom did some research and found that they had an affiliate in Regina called First Steps Wellness Center. Mm -hmm. Um, We called them. We booked an appointment. And so one week after I left the Glenrose, my mom and I drove to Regina um, so up until this point, what was your experience with physio and the Glen Rose <laughs> and the rehab side of things? So at that point, uh, like I said, I was doing physio four times a week, right? Two outpatients, either at the Chris Center at the Misericordia Hospital or outpatient at the Glen Rose Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also doing twice a day at, or sorry, twice a week at um, the neurophysio here in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, like I said, I was really active and fit. I've been working out since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Right. But the day I was paralyzed, I literally forgot all of my fitness information. Like <laughs> it just flew out of my head. I didn't think that I knew anything. Mm-hmm. And I put all of my trust, everything into my physios because mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, you guys are the experts. Tell me what to do. How am I going to get better? And with the amount of spasticity that I had. So I guess that's something we didn't really talk about, but so the spasms that I was having, um, resulted in a lot of spasticity and like at that time it was extensor tone so everything just goes straight my calves were so tight um up until then nobody had been able to get my ankles to 90 degrees because my calves were so tight Mm -hmm. and I went through I'm not joking probably 30 physios Mm -hmm. in the city right 
and uh, nobody had any seen anybody with as much spasticity as I had, so nobody knew what to do with me. I was on high levels of antispasm medications, which made me feel dopey. Uh, definitely was not alert, <laughs> right? And like mm-hmm. just foggy and stuff, and still had major spasticity. I even had Botox injected in my adductors, mm-hmm. in my inner thigh muscles, um, which actually worked to because Botox paralyzes your muscles, so mm-hmm. the overaction stops. And then I was able to, you know, calf or people and nurses were able to help calf me. Mm-hmm. So my experience with physios and stuff up until that point kind of was what it was. I didn't really have anything to compare to at that point. So you say was was it was what was it? <laughs> what did you do? What did exercises, what did they try? It was general exercises um, that I would do mostly on my own. Um, so I guess what, what was the focus? What was the focus? What were they trying to accomplish and achieve with you? You know, I don't really know. I think generally was like core strength Mm -hmm. and my goal was to stand and walk. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to stand and walk. And now hindsight, I see that, you know, I remember the main physio guy telling me, he's like, okay, well, we're just going to get you standing up and walking and we'll fix all the bad habits later. And I remember thinking like, that's not I don't think that's the right way to do it. (laughs) I think you should start the right way from the beginning. But also at that time, I didn't have enough voice to speak up, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I feel like I forgot all my knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And so I just like, was like, okay, let's do this. And so I was standing with the AFOs Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, um, you know, I thought that I was getting the best treatment. Mm-hmm. until I found out about Project Walk. Mm-hmm. Once I went down to Regina with my mom, when we spent a week there, I was doing two hours every day there, Monday to Friday. It was incredible, mm-hmm. right? The things they were doing, and it was simple exercises with a different focus, mm-hmm. right? They also had not seen anybody with as much spasticity as me, so they were, like, I, you can, I can see the fear on their face, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, they yeah. did the best that they could um, and sent me with a home program from there. I really liked the program. It was very uh, brain focused mm-hmm. where I had to really control my spasticity, mm-hmm. which at that time was way worse than it is now. Um, but they were telling me things that nobody had ta- taught me before mm-hmm. and um, told me things about neuro recovery that no one has said anything about before. Mm-hmm. And So when I left there, um, came back home, my brother built me a workout table because beds are too soft and I couldn't get down to the floor or back up. So he built me a workout table and at that time only my mom and my brother could help me with my exercises and um, it just wasn't feasible to like keep that sustainable. Um, We also found out about a place in Calgary called Synaptic and so I was going there every Friday uh, we'd drive there for three hours, we'd work out for two hours, and then we'd drive back. And we did that for <laughs> six weeks. And then my mom had three weeks off in July, and she's like, you know what? Let's just go to California. I was like, okay, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> and so we ended up going to California, and um, I just remember my first day rolling into this building. It was huge, 24,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just remember the feeling of when I first rolled in there, I saw this ginormous space. 
I saw like, you know, 12 to 15 trainers. That means 12 to 15 clients Mm -hmm. plus aides, plus volunteers. Everyone's working hard. The music's pumping. They're all kind of encouraging each other. I came in. So many people said hi to me, Mm -hmm. right? Like I felt seen and I just felt like that was the first time I felt normal, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm just going to a gym and I just remember that feeling and I remember it now and I want wanted to give that to other people yes you felt accepted yeah Yeah. definitely I felt like I'm one of these people Mm -hmm. and um anyways so I had my trainer there was Jenny Mm -hmm. and she was incredibly strong and uh so you know after my first week I was doing three hours a day there Mm -hmm. and at on the first Friday that Friday they had me standing on my flat feet and that was enough to be like I am 100% sold on what you're doing because up until then, like I said, no one could get me my ankles to 90. Mm -hmm. And especially with me standing, that was out of the question, Mm -hmm. right? I was standing in good alignment with my heels on the ground. And so after that, um, I had two more weeks there and I knew I was going to get a home program from them. Mm -hmm. And it was that weekend... Actually, no, that weekend we went to Disneyland and stuff. <laughs> or Universal Have some fun Studios. while you're down there. <laughs> yeah. um, it was the next week that I, go, you know, all the trainers there are kinesiologists or exercise therapists. So I Googled kinesiology in Edmonton, came up with the U of A. And so I emailed this, the practicum coordinator and I told him, hey, I need to find a kinesiology student to help me with my home program once I get back to Canada. And so he asked me for a bunch of information and then fanned it out to the whole faculty and you were one of the responses I got. I was, I was. <laughs> I got about 12 people responded back um, wanting to work. And uh, so when I came back to Canada, um, obviously I interviewed you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so during this interview, I was like, hey, I'm like, I need to test this girl's strength, right? Because my trainer in Australia, she had huge muscles and was able to manipulate my legs easily. She wasn't sweating or panting or mm-hmm. anything or complaining, which made me feel good, right? Because when somebody lifts your leg and it's like, oh my God, it doesn't make you feel good. <laughs> no. And just to clarify, uh, she's from Australia, but she's working in California. Yeah. There's no extra trips in there. No. <laughs> And so, yeah, when, when you came to my host, I interviewed you and uh, I was like, hey, I'm like, I'm going to need to test your strength. <laughs> I don't think she actually said it like that, but yeah, some, something, something like, like that. that. So then we moved, we went to the table yep. and honestly, Nancy just picked up my leg, easy peasy, <laughs> knew how to hold it, how to grab yep. it. And just, you know, you moved it around and just how, how exactly how they were doing it in California. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but all of that she was secretly still hoping for a hot guy <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. i wanted a hot guy <laughs> my mom's like you're not gonna get any work done if you have a hot trainer <laughs> yeah um but yeah i ended up hiring you and another girl chantel mm-hmm. and we would do three hours three to four hours a day six days a week and you guys were working opposite days because you were going to school obviously mm-hmm. um yeah and so that's how the story of me and Nancy. Yeah, that's where our paths crossed. So, I mean, for me, it was one of those. So she'd put out the job posting, I want to say in July. Mm-hmm. It was the end of July or something yeah. like that. And yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be back in Edmonton. So I'm from a smaller town. I'm from Camrose. So I, at the time, was still living in Camrose during the summers and then coming up to 
Edmonton for School for University. I'd taken my Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology at that time. I think I was going into my third year. Yeah, um, yeah and I was like, well, um, if she wants to have me and she's willing to wait, then this is going to work. Yeah. Right? So I was like, well, I can't start till September. And she's like, fine, no problem. So I ended up starting, you know, basically September 1st. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, you weren't driving either. No, I was taking the bus everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So this girl took the bus from the university to my house, which is deep south. Yeah, it was about an hour and a half on the bus. (laughs) Because you had to transfer a couple different uh, buses. Yeah. She lived out in the the sticks of Edmonton. (laughs) Yeah, still do, even further now. Yeah. But, like, just the commitment that you showed and the enthusiasm that you showed really made me feel special, right? Mm -hmm. It made me feel like your confidence instilled Mm -hmm. confidence in me and when we first started working out like it was it was kind of a both ways right Mm -hmm. like I was kind of showing you what they were doing I showed you Mm -hmm. my home program we were also doing like monthly I think Skype sessions with them Mm -hmm. and so we'd you know show them our setup and be like Mm -hmm. you know the first time we stood up didn't work very well (laughs) at all And, you know, and then they reminded me that like, hey, the first time we stood up, it didn't work either. Right. So change what you're doing, change this, change that and stuff. And um, things just started to really progress. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my recovery started to progress. I really started to see a lot of changes in my body and my connectivity to my body and stuff too, Mm -hmm. which further motivated me to keep going, right. To keep pushing forward. Yeah, and on the flip side for me, I personally didn't think I could do this in Canada. So I was, you know, all set on kinesiology was a stepping stone for me to get into physio. So to backtrack a little bit is the physio, the Bachelor of Physiotherapy was taken out the year before I could apply Mm -hmm. and it became a master's program. So I had to do an undergraduate degree to get into physio. So the end goal as I went to university was to go into physio at the end of it. So finding, being and meeting her in my third year changed my perspective a little bit I mean, at that point, I was kind of over school and the whole um, academic side of things that was more theoretical, less application. I'd always wanted to do more of the application side of things. Um, When I was little, I followed Pressing on Texas, which is one of the first activity-based training centers that I was exposed to, and I fell in love with it, knew that's what I always wanted to do, um, just didn't think I could do it in Canada. So I was on kinesiology path to get my physio degree and then potentially just go work in the States, right, just because Mm -hmm. that's where there's a lot of centers, right? And there, I think one of the things they did really well in the States or do really well is promote themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas in Canada, you didn't hear about most of these centers until, you know, you meet somebody who's been there through somebody else and it's a very um, down-the-chain kind of line. Yeah. In Canada, it's more like you have to find them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not avidly looking outright for people to come see them. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we worked together for about six months, and then I had planned to go back to California for another five months, or for five weeks, sorry, that mm-hmm. January. Mm-hmm. And um, so Nancy decided to come with me for the last week of my week, of my five weeks there, mm-hmm. and we did the Train Your Trainer program. Yep. And um, so that was the first time Nancy's ever flown out of the country. <laughs> yep, yep. First time on a plane, first time out of the country. <laughs> I've done a lot of firsts with Bean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, she came down and um, I feel like that that's when you got your confidence, Mm -hmm. that that's when you kind of were like, okay, like what I'm doing is right. That's when you were validated, like, Mm -hmm. because here there was no one to ask. 
Yeah. Right? I think it's the big thing about Canada is because it's such a new field and Mm -hmm. it's a growing field and a growing profession, there's nobody else to collaborate with, to Mm -hmm. talk to, and you're just kind of on your own being like, what do I do? You can do as much research as you want. And I mean, there's some stuff here, some stuff there, but there's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely not. Canada is in the dark ages, that's for sure, when it comes to neurorecovery. But not for long. (laughs) Not for long. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when we came back from California, my other trainer, Chantel, <clears throat> had decided that this wasn't for her and she wanted to pursue other things. And that's when you said you were ready to go full time. And mm-hmm. so that's when we kicked it into high gear. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> my recovery also kicked it into high gear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was around that time, too, that on my journey when I was out and about, anytime that I would meet somebody in a wheelchair, I'd be like, you have to work out with Nancy. She's so good. <laughs> and then started my mobile business. Yeah. <laughs> so for, I think, about three years, three years I was traveling around to people's houses and going yeah. into their homes and carrying out activity-based training programs. Yep. And I feel like, you know, you changed a lot of people's lives, for sure. And it, that was like the beginnings of Ryu before we even knew what Ryu was going to be. Yeah. And <clears throat> like the first time I came back from California... I brought franchise papers back Mm -hmm. and I talked to the CEO there about opening a franchise here in Edmonton because, you know, there were so many Albertans that own houses in California because of Project Walk Mm -hmm. and they go down there for six months of the year and there's so many people that fly in and out of uh, Alberta to go down there. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, then there's clearly a need here, right? And so when I, my mom and I talked to him, you know, it was, we walk into his office and he, one of the first things he said to me, he's like, this is a very lucrative business. There is lots of money to be made. And he's wearing like a $50,000 Rolex watch. And, you know, so in California, I paid 110 US an hour to work out there. And I was doing three hours a day, five days a week for a total of eight weeks. And that doesn't include your flight, your hotel, your food, your car, your gas. Mm -hmm. And it's very expensive. So when he said that to me, I was like, that really rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, you're making that money off of me, mm-hmm. right? And I talked to a bunch of the trainers there and they're like, we don't see hardly any of that money that you guys pay, mm-hmm. right? It all goes up to overhead. And like he said, there is a lot of money to be made and that ugh, it just doesn't sit well with me at all because you're making money off of people with disabilities mm-hmm. and you're okay with it. Anyways, I did end up taking the franchise papers with from me from him, um, but then trying to bring that kind of business over the border, nearly impossible. And their franchise fees were astronomical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like we had talked about opening a center here from the very beginning. Um, I think in the beginning it was just like talks, like yeah, one day, yeah, one day, right? <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who know me, I uh, never wanted to run a business and I never wanted to teach. And now I'm doing both of yeah. those. <laughs> So life throws you curveballs and you roll with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's just like, it's way outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. 100%. Right? It's, and it's a big responsibility too. Yeah. Big right? Time. Big time. And so yeah, we talked about it for yeah. a few years. Um, there was also another location of First Steps Wellness Center in Richmond, BC. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of family out there. So anytime I go for a wedding, I'd often go there and work mm-hmm. out while I was there. And I, you know, I talked to the owner, Owen, a couple of times um, and 
you know, we were kind of like, well, maybe we should open a franchise here mm -hmm. uh, for steps, right? Like they clearly have a formula that works. Mm -hmm. We would have the support behind us and you were on board. Mm -hmm. And we were introduced to another mother and daughter. Well, I met the daughter while I was in Regina a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And so her and her mom had tried opening a center here in Edmonton a couple of years before we were trying mm -hmm. and it didn't end up taking flight. And so we partnered with them. We're like, mm -hmm. well, the four of us can totally do it. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, I kind of had like a feeling in me like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. But I was like, no, no, this is right because we had the supports and mm -hmm. this is a good way to do it and uniformity and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so then I just remember I went to a yoga class one day and it like punched me in the gut and was like, don't do it. Yeah. And that was my intuition. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to ignore this. I can't <laughs> ignore this. And so I remember I called you yeah. and I remember telling you this yeah. and you were just like, okay, well, if that's how you feel, then let's go independent. Right. Yeah. And so then I called, you know, our other business partner lady and told her how I felt. And she had the same response that like, okay, well, if this is how you feel and you're feel that strongly about it, we'll just do our own thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that time we hadn't signed a contract or anything no. and we were going over back and forth with things. Um, and yeah, and I, Honestly, I don't know why I had that feeling and it has nothing to do with first steps. I think they do amazing work mm -hmm. and they are an amazing center. Um, I just don't know why. Yeah. And I mean, from an outside perspective, we did not have the resources to really open a franchise yeah. at that time either. No. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> fiscally, financially, it would have put us into debt. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. it, that would have been, you know, something where we wouldn't necessarily want to be in a position starting off. Yeah. Yeah. And well, we didn't know anything about business either, right? No. And neither of us uh, come from wealthy <laughs> situations, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so we yeah. didn't have a lot to put into it either. Yeah. And um, yeah, I feel like, you know, we just knew that wasn't right. And mm -hmm. then we, when we decided to go on our own, you know, first thing is you got to come up with a name. <laughs> <laughs> that took us forever. <laughs> like almost three months it took us. And in the end, it was because we met... Zag Creative. So we reached out to them where they're a marketing agency here in Edmonton, uh, run primarily by women, which we loved. And we just reached out and said, you know, this is our story. This is what we want to do. We cannot move forward without a name and mm -hmm. we don't have any funds right now to be able to pay. So is there any way that you can help us out? And they were very gracious and very generous and they worked pro bono for us. Um, they gave us our name and our tagline, which is Reu Paralysis Recovery Center. Reconnect, retrain, redefine. That's right. <laughs> and so with that, like once we got that, the snowball started and like has not stopped to yeah. this day and is getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and keeps going. Yeah. But so in the beginning, we were trying to stay ahead of the growth. We were trying to keep it quiet. We were trying to keep it quiet. And we purposely said, we're not going to blast this on anything. <laughs> um, but that did, really did not work out. <laughs> we just through our networks. And honestly, I just feel like people often ask me, like, how did you do it? Mm -hmm. How did you start Ryu? Mm -hmm. And I often say, like, we were so passionate about it. Yep. Literally the universe lined things up, the right doors opened right before us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we had to do legwork and yeah, we had to make a lot of phone calls mm -hmm. and, you know, do this and do that. But 
it just kind of happened is mm-hmm. really and um you know we thought that we would need like $150,000 in order to find a space to mm-hmm. rent and stuff and then we found out about Parkinson Association of Alberta how they had a fully equipped gym that they're not utilizing and so we went and met with them and Brandy was amazing and she was like yep you guys can have the gym and it worked with their schedule and mm-hmm. our schedule and when she says have we're we're renting renting space yeah we were renting space <laughs> <laughs> but for a very minimal, a very minimal amount, yeah. and um, which allowed us to open with zero capital, mm-hmm. right? We didn't put any of our money. I mean, we put a few hundred dollars into like well, business I mean, cards and the, stuff. Well, I mean, the equipment I had before, I just brought. So because I was a mobile business, I had mm-hmm. a lot of equipment from before. So we just yeah. brought that in. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, you know, Parkinson Association of Alberta, they already had treadmills. They had mm-hmm. medicine balls, weights, mm-hmm. ropes, you know, resistance bands, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. we didn't really need any big equipment. No. Um, Nor did we have the space for it. No. We were working out of 900 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> just to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> so we were very blessed and very grateful very for that grateful. space. It yeah. allowed us to open. Yeah. Right. We really got serious about it. I want to say, you know, December, we got all of our paperwork in order by February yep. Yep. of 2017. Yep. And then we opened April 3rd. We did. April 3rd, 2017 is, and Ryu is a registered nonprofit yep. association in Canada mm-hmm. um, and registered in Alberta as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had some people tell us like, why are you going nonprofit? Yep. Why don't you just go for profit? Mm-hmm. But what are our thoughts? <laughs> so, I mean, it's never been about the money for me. It's always been about helping people. A lot of people can't understand why I charged even so little when I was going to people's houses. I'm like, it's not about the money. It's because I love what I do, mm-hmm. right? It, if it was about the money, I wouldn't be in this business, right? This is, I mean, yes, theoretically, you could make, you know, a lot of money off people, but mm-hmm. does it, like you have to go home with that every single night and have that on your conscience, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. I, I personally, just because I'm passionate, I want to help people. Yeah. And I feel the exact same way. Yep. And a big lesson I learned after being paralyzed is that money comes and goes, Yep. right? As an x-ray tech, I was making easy six figures. Mm-hmm. I had no financial worries. If I wanted something, I bought it. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't care. And, mm-hmm. you know, now having a disability, I've been under the poverty line for the last four years, mm-hmm. right? And so money comes, money goes. If you're chasing after it, you're never going to get it. And if you do get it, it's mm-hmm. not going to last you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, integrity, humility, those are things yeah. you cannot buy yeah. and... You know, I think we need more of it in our world today. Yep. And if you believe in yourself and if you offer good services and products, the money will come. So yeah, we had media attention starting from January, Mm -hmm. which kind of got the ball rolling a bit. And then we did some photo shoots and uh, got some promo videos made, even though we didn't have a space. So we were shooting in different gyms. And Yeah, yeah, we were. And then... So, so from 2015 to 2016, I actually had two wrist surgeries and this is all like kind of right before we ended up opening too. So (laughs) yeah, I tore ligaments in in my wrists and like, as somebody who works in the activity-based training field, my hands are my job. They're my livelihood, right? So for me, it was really important to heal them well and Mm -hmm. make sure they're, they have longevity. (laughs) So I I did my right hand in 2015 and uh, the recovery time for that is not short. So because I tore my scapulonate ligament, for those of you who know anatomy, it's just one of the, the uh, 
car between the carpal bones of the wrist. Um, so I had a long arm cast for three weeks, a short arm cast for about four weeks, and then I had a splint for another about a month. So I mean, with the splint, I was allowed to start doing some physio and yeah. some OT. Um, so that was, I guess, a unique perspective for me is um, I got to see OT in action um, and see what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, like they were very good for me, but as a younger person, like they, what I, what I would call an older person injury is what they kind of said I had. Uh, most people just break the scapholuniate bone, mm -hmm. like, or one or the other, the scapho scapoid bone or the lunate bone, um, where as I tore the ligament. So my body's kind of special in that I will tear ligaments before I will break bones. Not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> So it just means I have really loose joints kind of everywhere, yeah. just hypermobility. Um, so me being so strong is what's actually held me together, yeah. right? If I wasn't strong, I probably would not be as healthy and fit as I am. Mm -hmm. I'd be falling apart a lot more. So just a lot of external stresses tend to not do well on my ligaments. Yeah. And it's a hard job too. Activity-based training is not yeah. an easy job to do when you're manipulating somebody's mm -hmm paralyzed body yep so yeah it takes a lot of toll on your body that's for yeah sure. it does it does but not saying that's gonna happen to everybody I'm no. just a very unique case in that my <laughs> ligaments like to fall apart <laughs> um but yeah so going through that gave me a, a different perspective on the requirements of fine motor therapy so when I mm -hmm. um came out of the cast and the splint so because it was a ligament injury I wasn't actually allowed to grab or squeeze anything and my thumb was also basically splinted so it was stuck in in a specific position right so I can only wiggle my fingers. So if you go from just wiggling your fingers and, and flexing the, the end pieces, you, you have a very stiff hand. Mm -hmm. So to be able to fully flex everything and extend everything out and do all the, and, and find out what your hands are capable of, right? I was doing, for my own recovery, about six hours a day, mm -hmm. right? And to some people that might sound crazy and, you know, that's way too much. But for me, I wanted my hands back as mm -hmm. quickly as I could and within the realms of what I could do, right? It wasn't six hours in a row, mm -hmm. but it was six hours in total throughout the day of, I need to get this back. I need to work on it. Let's yeah. go. I want my hands to be as the best they can be yep. coming out of this. So I went through it once in the right hand. So, I mean, I knew what to expect. And it was interesting going into the surgery, like... People did, the, the medical system didn't believe that I had actually ruptured the ligament. So I'd gone through and had testing and MRIs and MRIs with contrast. Um, if you've ever had one of those, it's super fun, makes you feel like you want to pee. <laughs> but uh, it was, the imaging was non-conclusive or it was like, yeah, no, we don't believe it. So going in, they're like, well, yeah, you might come up with just a little splint on your wrist or you'll come up with a full arm cast. And I went in fully knowing full well I was going to come up with a full arm cast. Like mm -hmm. I knew that it was it was ruptured, and you know, just having to jump through hoops to prove mm -hmm. that I what I had was what I had. And so I actually ended up going private for a bunch of my testing mm -hmm. because they're like, you need this to get to the next step. And I'm like, I'm not going to wait. Yeah. So I mean, I was fortunate that you know I had the funds, and this is my hands, and I'm like, it's my livelihood. Yeah. I'm going to you know pay for it. Yeah. So I went ahead and did that, and then came out the other side with the cast, and you know my nurse. Was, uh, was on my right arm she was surprised she's like oh I wasn't expecting that I'm like I was I was fully expecting that yeah. right so it's just going in and I mean I do have a little bit more medical knowledge than the lay person so yeah. a little bit more understanding of anatomy and uh, the testing and sports injuries and that side of thing um, but so that was my my right hand and then my left hand actually did more damage mm -hmm. so I did my scapulinate ligament and my lunotraquetral ligament as well so they ended up repairing both and thankfully I have like fantastic hand surgeon mm -hmm. that you know did an amazing job um, 
yeah, I wouldn't be where I am without him, so thank you very much. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, going through, and the left one was the, the last one, so I was still rehabbing that as we were actually planning to open yep. Ryu. Yep, she was, and she was still working with one cast, yeah. working with all of us, us clients, <laughs> one arm at a time. <laughs> this is true, this is true. So that's actually where I came up with some of the pieces of equipment, was yep. because it was out of necessity. So I'm like, how can I still do this job with one arm? Yep. Right, So because I had pins in my wrist and I couldn't be banging up my cast and couldn't put pressure through the, essentially the entire arm because it was just not comfortable and it would do more damage and that mm-hmm. side of things. And I didn't want to jeopardize my own recovery. Uh, so yeah, came up with a, a few new pieces of equipment that you know gave yep. me extra hands. Yeah, and we're going to talk about these, those pieces of equipment on another episode Yeah, um, because they do need to be talked about. And yep. it's so simple and makes such a big difference that yep. a lot of uh, some other centers have Mm-hmm. Uh, adopted some as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, so still rehabbing while we were <laughs> getting getting ready for all of this. Yeah, and it was it's a process because yeah. neither of us have run a business before or had to incorporate anything, mm-hmm. and um, you know you learn a lot of things as you go through this. And mm-hmm. like I had said before, a lot of these um, services were offered to us pro bono, so our legal services, um, yeah. some of our bookkeeping, mm-hmm. and you know. Another valuable lesson that we've learned in the last three years is you often get what you pay for. And so when you don't pay for anything, (laughs) sometimes you don't get anything. And we've had, you know, a few big hiccups over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where you learn the most, right, is Mm -hmm. when you're making those mistakes and stuff. Um, yeah, and when Bean's talking about you, you, not necessarily you don't get what you pay for or you get what you pay for, um, it's finding the people that align well with you, Yeah. right? I think that's been a bigger side for us is when we find the people that align with us, yeah. it, it works out every time regardless of how much you pay, yeah, right? So I think that's where we really learn to trust our instincts and read people. Yeah. Like if anything, we've learned to read people very you know, well. very quickly and very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you learn to ask the tough questions right off the bat and, and dive deep really fairly quickly because yeah. it's, it's not about us anymore. It's about everyone we're servicing and yeah. we're, we're giving, you know, our time and every energy, energy back yeah. into the community now. So we need to make sure everybody who's coming on board aligns with our mission, our vision and what we stand for. Yeah. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So before we opened, we had one client Mm -hmm. and he had sent, it was his father-in-law that sent Mm -hmm. in all of his information and stuff and called me numerous times before we were opening, asking for when are we opening and stuff. And, you know, so that April 3rd, we had the one client Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then we went home. (laughs) And so when we started in April, like I said, we started with one client at the end of April, we had six. Yeah. And we were operating three days a week. So we were Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days a week. So just 24 hours a week. And I mean, those 24 hours were not full. No, we're not full (laughs) at all. And we thought we would be operating at three days a week for about six months, six months to nine months, somewhere in there. No, we made it three months (laughs) and we were fully booked. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, then we opened up the Tuesdays, Thursdays, Yep. And very quickly that filled up. Yeah, I think that lasted to the end of June. Yep, that filled up really quickly. Yeah. Um, and then we had a wait list. Yeah. We had to hire. Yep. And so that was another adventure on its own, is both of us being bosses. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very steep learning curve. If anybody's very ever been steep. a boss, it's it's humbling yep. and it's it's exciting, it's scary, yep. it's intimidating. And kind of surreal too, yeah. right? Even like to this day, I don't really feel like a boss, mm-hmm. right? But like 
we are. Yep. <laughs> we are. Yeah. If you've been on the side of management, it's, it's a whole nother beast. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. But for us, we really want people, like Nancy said, that align with, the, with us, mm-hmm. that believe in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, their heart is in it. Mm-hmm. And because activity-based training can be taught. Mm-hmm. Right. And it will be taught. You do have to have a kinesiology degree. Well, anatomy, physiology background. Yeah. You have to have an yeah. understanding of how the body works. <laughs> yeah. Musculoskeletal anatomy, super important. Very important. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, we ended up hiring Carly, mm-hmm. who was our first employee and, uh, things were going good. And then that was in about September, October ish, September. I think we hired her. Yeah. Uh, and then Jan, the following January, we hired again because yep. we were just getting so busy. And that's when we hired Alex, yep. who is our currently our longest standing employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and things just started ramping up. Like, honestly, like we said, we thought we'd be in that space for a long time. We thought we'd be part-time for six months. Mm-hmm. We outgrew that space in six months. Yep. We were fully booked. And when you have 900 square feet full of workout equipment, Plus two wheel, plus three wheelchairs because we were doing two clients at a time. Yep. So their wheelchairs plus mine yep. plus volunteers, family members, family members, caregivers. Yeah, it yep. just got to be really, really stuffed. And um, one thing I think we should also talk about is our volunteers. Yep. Right. We have been so lucky to have so many people want to volunteer at our organization. Yeah, we've had volunteers since May, May of 2017. Yeah. And one of yep. them is still with us. Yep. Yep. <laughs> He's our longest running volunteer. Yeah, um, Edmar. Edmar. <laughs> yeah, shout out, Edmar. <laughs> um, but yeah, like was, we've been super grateful to yep. have so many people want to learn from us. And it's been very important for us to make sure our volunteers are very hands-on and very, um, you know, connected and uh, yeah, so I mean, invested. Yeah, invested. And I mean, the biggest, one of the big goals that we have as an organization is to help spread a knowledge and awareness, mm-hmm. not only of like, the stereotypes and stigmas and attitudinal barriers for people with disabilities, but also advancing neuro recovery. Mm-hmm. And how we do that is through information. It's through yeah. passing on knowledge. So the more knowledge we can get out there, the better. And so, I mean, we welcome lots of volunteers. I mean, right now, obviously, with the whole pandemic situation, it's a little different. Uh, a little different. It's a little different. I mean, we're all adapting and adjusting to this yeah. new time. But previously, uh, all hands-on with client sessions, we use them to help transfer, to help spot. They're yeah. actively engaged with all of our clients and I think a lot of them benefit and learn from being here and interacting with our clients yep and like you know our goal is to change the game of neuro recovery in Canada Mm -hmm. right we want to bring neuro Canada into the forefront Mm -hmm. and like Nancy said a lot of how we do that is by sharing information Mm -hmm. and so a lot of our volunteers come from the U of A from PT, from OT, from kinesiology program. Mm-hmm. And we love that. Also from Concordia, from Grant McEwen, from all, and, and just from people who aren't in school, we've had mm-hmm. volunteers come yep. off the street. Yep. And it's really important to us to show, especially these students who are going to go into becoming a physical therapist or occupational therapist or a doctor, mm-hmm. that they come in here and they see that activity-based training, one, is real, mm-hmm. two, works, mm-hmm. and that... Your recovery is possible. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That it's happening mm-hmm. and we are, you know, we have to change the system, the system that's been stagnant for so long mm-hmm. and uh, we really are making an impact in that system. We've mm-hmm. been ruffling feathers <laughs> since the day we started. <laughs> but we like them. Yep. <laughs> like and, it's, and it's in a good way, right? Yes. We're, we're always approaching it with respect too. And oh, I think, I think that's the big thing is we're not abrasive in our approach. 
We're here to stay, and so are the other organizations. Yeah. So, you know, we've always wanted to work in partnership, in collaboration yeah. with all these other organizations. And I yeah. think as we continue on, I mean, we've been open for three years now, and we're definitely getting more acceptance as we get further along and people start to realize and understand what it is we do. Yeah, for sure. It is an uphill battle, but anytime we're trying to teach an old dog new tricks is what's happening right mm -hmm. now. Right. And so it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. um, we had to prove our credibility as well. Yep. Right. Often people have said, what do two young girls know about neuro recovery? Mm -hmm. What does a makeup artist and a personal trainer know about neuro recovery? Yep. Right. Well, a lot. <laughs> we know a lot, actually. Yep. <laughs> and so <clears throat> part of being, uh, you know, fighting with the healthcare system and showing them that proving to them that what we're doing is real is building our credibility. Mm -hmm. And so Nancy and I have always pushed through and we will mm -hmm. always, we will always keep pushing through. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we were in the Parkinson Association Center for about a year and a half. Yep. And then we were like, okay, like we cannot, we had a wait list. We were working with two clients at a time and we need, we knew we needed our space. Mm -hmm. And so we found the space that we're sitting in right now. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit echoey. <laughs> <laughs> and we moved in here in November, 2018. Yep. Uh, it's a 5,300 square foot facility. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Gives us lots of ample room to grow. Yep. And honestly, now with the pandemic where we have to be physically distanced, it's working out really well for us. It's going yes. to work out really well for us. Yeah. Um, so when we moved in here, uh, you know, obviously that was a big step for us, right? Because mm -hmm. when we were in Parkinson Association, it was kind of like, well, mom and dad are always there. Like if, <laughs> if something happens to the building, well, it's, we can ask them. Yeah. Right? And now, like, I guess we still have a landlord, so it's not as much onus on us, yeah. but this is ours, yeah. right? Like it's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. We have to take care of it. And like, again, another steep learning curve with all of mm -hmm. this stuff, but yeah. then uh, and the rate at which Ryu has grown has mm -hmm. been incredible. Yeah incredible i mean right now we're at almost 150 clients mm -hmm. and we've just opened been open for three years mm -hmm. and i was at a conference and i was talking to a center out of new jersey mm -hmm. and they said in five years it took them five years to get 60 clients mm -hmm. and they're like how'd you do it i was like honestly i don't really know <laughs> <laughs> media we had so much media attention and the fact is is there's a need here yeah. there's a huge need whereas in the states there's centers all over the place mm -hmm. right like there's eight centers in california alone mm -hmm. and canada there's five including us mm -hmm. and so because there's a need like we service people from all of northern alberta mm -hmm. southern alberta bc mm -hmm. um that's pretty much it for right yeah. now, right? <laughs> but I mean, we have somebody waiting for their visa in Africa to yeah. come spend six months here at Ryu. Yeah. And, you know, word's getting out. And uh, because we're providing a service that wasn't provided before, we're doing it with integrity. We're doing mm -hmm. it with, uh, it's evidence-based, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's uh, logic behind what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, safety is our first concern, which is also a lot of people's concern with us. Mm -hmm. But we do take safety very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And... Most of anything, we want to help see people pro progress. And, and I think our investment into our clients speaks yeah. volumes because, I mean, we say we get a lot of media attention, which we do, mm -hmm. but it's word of mouth. That's mm -hmm. how we've got a lot of clients in the beginning. People yep. talk. Our, the disability community is fairly small, yep. right? So everybody goes and knows somebody or, you know, and, and yep. the word spreads that way. So I'd say the majority of our clients we got through word of mouth, yep. right? Yep. So I think that's... A really important yep. kind of aspect, right? Is if you're invested, people see that and they yeah. and they feel that, you know, they're giving their all and you're giving it back. Yeah. 
Well, one thing we really wanted with Ryu is, yes, there's a physical side of things for Mm -hmm. sure, right? But one thing we really wanted was to create that community. Mm -hmm. And that's the community I felt when I was at Project Walk, Mm -hmm. that love, acceptance, equality. Mm -hmm. And that's something we really wanted to create here. Mm -hmm. And um, it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's definitely happening, right? Our with this pandemic, we've been closed today's day, 80, day 81, mm-hmm. 82 of being closed. Mm-hmm. And the feedback that we get from a lot from our clients is, man, like we miss seeing everybody. We miss seeing other people. Mm-hmm. We miss seeing other people work out. We miss, you know, the camaraderie and like the yeah. conversations and stuff. And so it kind of warms my heart knowing that like what we're doing is making a difference and it's affecting people's lives outside of here. Well, yeah, especially because we live in a winter city, so we have snow, you know, eight, nine months out of the year, right? You know, six months on a really good year, (laughs) right? But uh, that just further isolates people's mobility challenges, right? So, you know, people who otherwise wouldn't be getting out are getting out and they're coming out and they're seeing other people, they're getting that interaction and, and seeing other people do things that they're like, I never thought I could do that. And they're like, well, now I can because they can do it too. Right. So I think that's just the power of the community is, you know, collectively proving, you know, medical systems wrong or, you know, added attitudes wrong, right. Stereotypes. Yep. Well, and then, yeah, when I was in California, um, you know, I went to the pier with my mom mm-hmm. and I saw like 15 people in wheelchairs out and about doing things, shopping, mm-hmm. rolling around, mm-hmm. you know, just doing things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where am I? Because in Edmonton, I don't see anybody out and about in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So statistically, there's got to be people here in wheelchairs. Where are they? Mm-hmm. Right. And so with Ryu, like I, want, I really wanted to start hosting events to get people out. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, we're just regular people too. So, so yeah, my legs don't work. So what if our, our, someone's brain doesn't work properly? They're still a person mm-hmm. and they still deserve to go out and have fun and stuff. And so that's one thing that I've really enjoyed with our events mm-hmm. is having different types of events and different locations and getting people out. Um, you know, having a Christmas party at fancy restaurants where someone might not have the opportunity to have a really fancy meal, but you know, we offer it at $40 mm-hmm. and we've had great sponsors that cover the rest of the cost for us. But, mm-hmm. you know, we get to have somebody, we get to take somebody who wouldn't have that experience and give them that experience. Mm-hmm. And we also, at the same time, get to show the able-bodied world that, hey, people with disabilities are normal. We all go out to eat too. We go to clubs, we go here, we go mm-hmm. there. Um, so that's just been an added byproduct of opening Ryu is just really getting rid of that attitudinal barrier, which we'll talk more in depth on in a different episode mm-hmm. because that's a two-hour conversation. Yeah, and, and realize we use the words normal loosely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know there's a lot of talk about what language do we use and, yeah. you know, how lightly do we tread, but, I mean, don't be offended at, you know, the words we say. We never use them maliciously or anything no, like that or in the context that there's something that's normal and something that's not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's just like a colloquial term that I think has perpetuated our society for a yeah. long time. So that's just something to put out there is, you know, <laughs> it's just how majority of society talks. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we're going to wrap up this episode just being, just talking about why we're, we're, we started this podcast. Cool. Yeah. So with this COVID-19 pandemic that has affected literally the whole world, Um, you know, like I said, we've been shut down for three months and, uh, I've been in contact with our clients and asking them like, you know, what do you want to see from us for our social media and stuff Mm -hmm. like that? And a lot of people have been saying that they want more in-depth information Mm -hmm. uh, on their, how their body works Mm -hmm. on how, what is neuro recovery? And so many people have asked me that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I said to Nancy, I'm like, Hey, well, this is what people want to know. 
And she's like, well, I can't really condense these into like social media posts. (laughs) (laughs) So we're like, well, how do we share this information uh, with the mass amount of people Mm-hmm. for free <laughs> so podcast <laughs> yeah yeah so with the podcast the direction we're gonna go with it we're gonna do a lot of educational we're gonna host yeah. a lot of guests and and really bring you guys up to speed on yeah. you know not only what it is that we do in our main programming but what it is that um the our affiliates and our partners do out in the yep. community as well yeah we're also going to be having uh, question and answer episodes mm-hmm. so uh, we'll have an anonymous form set up through either through our website or through our instagram page or mm-hmm. something uh, where you can answer any or ask any question that you want about anything that you want and um, within reason within reason <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll categorize them and we're gonna we'll have a few question and answer uh, episodes as well well hope you enjoyed today's episode and join us next time for our topic of what is activity-based training. Exciting. Thanks for listening.